Thank you for listening in to the King's Chapel podcast. We hope this message is a blessing to you. Please stay tuned after the message for more information about King's Chapel. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 26, as we have been going through the book of Matthew verse by verse together. When Felicia and I um, were out in ministry in Kansas City area and South Dakota, one of my least favorite days um, were special family get-together holiday type of days like Mother's Day, Father's Day, uh, Easter Sunday afternoon, those types of things. Because here's what would happen. Church would be over, um, I'd be done, and I would get on Facebook, and I would see my my brothers and sister-in-laws um, posting things on Facebook about all the fun that they had at Mimi and Papa's house, my parents' house, and there was something within me that was just, you felt like you were missing out because, you know, God had called us to, to minister in other places, and so you would see that, and it would just, it was hard. You'd be like, I wish, I wish that we could be there. I wish my kids could grow up um, with, their, with their grandparents and their cousins and their aunts and uncles and do these things. And little did we know that when God had us come back to Springfield to, uh, to do seminary work, and we thought we'd be here for a couple of years, and get to enjoy that and then off somewhere else, um, God in His grace and in His kindness um, allowed us to plug in right here into into Springfield, and, uh, and allowing our kids to be a part of their, their greater family. Now, when we get together, like uh, we did last Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday, one thing, my, one thing my parents do really, really, really well is to put on a big holiday spread of food. I mean, it's like, it, it's amazing. Typically, what happens is my dad will, will smoke some sort of big hunk of meat, which is always delicious. Uh, we had tri-tip, a beef tri-tip, and uh, oh, yes, yes, exactly. And uh, sometimes it's pulled pork. Sometimes if it's, you know, if it's Thanksgiving or something, it might be a turkey or a ham or whatever. But there's always some sort of smoked meat, ribs. Reagan is our big rib eater, so she always wants ribs. Caitlin had ordered the tri-tip, so she apparently had wanted that. So then there are also a certain number of side dishes that, uh, that always go with it. And when the kids talk about it, they, they, always, they always preface the actual name of the, of the dish with Mimi's Famous, right? So it's Mimi's Famous Bread or Mimi's Famous Jello. Uh, I, I don't know why we always have Jello. There's always this Mimi's Famous Fruit Bowl, Mimi's Famous on and on and on. So they, so they know, my kids know, that when we get together on Easter, not only are we going to have a good time, we are going to have a great meal. We all, and there's, you know, there's some variety in different things, but there are certain things that are staples that for our kids, if we didn't have, and I don't know why Jell-O, but Jell-O is one of them. If you don't have Jell-O, it's just not the same. This morning, we are going to look at a time when Jesus gets together for a festive meal with his family, with his family of disciples. He had said to them earlier, you are my brothers. You are my mother, my sisters, to the crowd that was gathered around him. You are my family. And Jesus gathers together with his disciples for not just what will be a special meal, a special Passover meal, but it will be his last meal with them before he goes to the cross. 
So Matthew chapter 26, we're going to be looking this morning at the Lord's table. It's picking up at verse number 14. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Now this is a, a, a big contrast, this juxtaposition here between, if you remember what came before this, it was the woman who had anointed Jesus for his burial, had given extravagantly, and this is put right up against this, this one who was one of his inner circle. In fact, we saw last week on Easter Sunday when we looked at the text to Emmaus, is that there was Customarily, there wasn't just the 12. There was a lot of times a larger group that was around them. But this is, this is one of Jesus' closest. And as opposed to the woman who poured out the expensive ointment on him, Judas is looking to betray. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on Judas because we're going to get to another part in Matthew 26 where the story comes to its culmination. But let me just say this about what's going on. Because when, when we get to the meal itself, Jesus is going to be greatly distraught. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen. 30 pieces of silver has significance, Zechariah 11 and some things like that. But here's what I want to just bring out for today. This was not a lot of money. This was, depending on your sources, maybe a month's wages. If you look at the book of Exodus uh, where, and, and Leviticus where God is giving the law about certain things, that if you, if you wanted to give an offering essentially of, of yourself, of a person, there are certain amounts that you would, because you wouldn't literally, you know, God did not, did not want human sacrifice. So if you wanted to kind of give yourself or to give somebody as a sacrifice, there were certain monetary things that went along with it. For a male in his prime, you can look it up later, their, their price was 50 pieces of silver. This was the price, 30 pieces was the price of, of a woman in her prime, or it was the price of a slave that was killed accidentally. So in the, in the grand scheme of things, the chief priests are getting off cheap, and Judas very well may not be doing this for the money. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So here's what's going on so far, just to pick you up again in what's going on in what we call Holy Week. On Sunday was the triumphal entry. Jesus came into, the, into Jerusalem in a royal parade, palm branches waving. Monday, he, spends it, he cleanses the temple. The children are there. They're, they're, they're praising him. There's, he's teaching in the temple. Tuesday, he pronounces the woes on the religious leaders. He gives the Olivet Discourse up on the hill. Wednesday is a silent day. Scripture doesn't say what happens on Wednesday. Thursday would have been the preparation for the Passover, and the Passover would have started after sundown. On Friday, the trial and the crucifixion, buried on Sunday or Saturday, raised on Sunday. So we are right here today as far as Holy Week. We are on the Thursday during the day, and as the sun would go down, Passover would have begun. So let's pick it up. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? So the first day of unleavened bread, it was really the whole, the whole 
time was a week long with one special day that was the Passover. And Jews, this is one of, the, one of the high holy days that they were required to pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And by some estimates, as many as two million people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so, I mean, there are just people everywhere. It's probably why Jesus was staying out in Bethany. And so they needed a place. These were Galileans. They were, they were travelers. They needed a place to prepare. And he said to them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. See, here's what we see again. This is a theme we've been seeing running throughout this whole narrative, is that all of this is the plan of God. And Jesus knows what is happening. He does not get caught up in events. This is not beyond his control. He'll go on to say, no one takes my life, I lay it down. He knows that there is a certain place they're going to celebrate the Passover. He knows it's his time. He knows whose house it will be. This is intentional. And the disciples said to, did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So when we think about the Last Supper, the Passover, Here's the image that usually comes to mind, right? We see this uh, Da Vinci's depiction here. Um, famous piece of art, completely historically inaccurate. Yeah, <laughs> they, they would not have sat at tables. I know it makes for good art. To, I'll put everybody all on one side um, so you can see them all, kind of like if you're watching TV. But this is not what the meal would have looked like, as beautiful as this piece of art is. There was something called the triclinium, and this is just one, um, the, the place where they would have met probably would have been larger. These are too small, but it gives, it's this U-shaped benches. A lot of times they would have had cushions on them, and in the middle here, there would have been, uh, that's where you put the food. And so on each of these benches, some of them have these little armrests. You would kind of, with these benches, you would, you would put an elbow here on the bench with your left arm, you would get the food with your right, and your legs and would stick out this way. So this is what's going on. They are, when the Scripture says they were reclining at table, this is the imagery. So all the, they would have been around this table, leaning, reclining on these, the benches of this triclinium with the food in the middle. And when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who was to betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. So this, this meal takes on a very different dimension when they begin to talk about the betrayal. This is not the normal festive meal. The betrayer sits among them. And we're going to talk about this more as we get to Jesus' betrayal, his arrest. 
But suffice it to say for now, many times we focus on the physical agony of Jesus on the cross, and obviously there was immense physical agony. We talk about the psychological agony of praying in the garden, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But I want us to think about the personal agony of this week, that one of Jesus' inner circles, inner circle men, is going to be the one that gives him up. He is going to be double-crossed by someone who was close to him. This is not that Rome sprung it on him. This was someone near to him giving him up. The suffering, the mocking, the things that go on all happen as a result of him being betrayed by a friend. So let's move on to the meal. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. So Jesus now begins what will be what we call the institution narrative, where he is instituting something. He is giving us something to do. Do this in remembrance of me. He is giving them something to continue to do, which we do even unto this day, and we will do again this morning as we will gather around the Lord's table with bread and cup. And so what I want us to see this morning as we go through this text, they're going to be, when it comes to the Lord's table, communion, the Eucharist, all these things, there are different things that we could, am I on here? A lot of different things that we think about. And we could spend the next several months unpacking all that, that this table and this time together represents and means to us. But today we're going to focus in on four. Four things that when we gather around the table of the Lord should be at, at mind, at heart. Now, I want us to, to break away from Matthew for just a moment and look at how Luke conveys this same act. Luke says it this way. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them. Remember this, give thanks. We'll come back to that as well. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 gives his, his recounting of this event, he uses these same words, do this in remembrance of me. When we gather around the table of the Lord together, it's a time for us to remember. Now, you say to yourself, well, that's fairly obvious, right? That's what we do. It can be very easy for us as a church, and I don't mean just us church, but church, bigger, big C church, to turn church into a morality club, into a, a, a place where we come together and try to feel better and get encouraged, or go other places in Scripture. You can go into the Proverbs and get things that are very practical, and at the end, walk out of here and say, I'm going to be a better person, which God wants us to be better people. But to walk out and say, 
God wants us to be a better person, but every time we gather at the Lord's table, it forces us to remember Jesus. It forces us to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed. It forces us to stop and remember that everything we have, this relationship with God, we have it all because Jesus' body was broken. And so Jesus takes the bread, the unleavened bread of the Passover, and he breaks it. And this bread symbolizes many things, and we'll talk about a couple this morning. But the first one that comes obviously clear was that Jesus breaks the bread, symbolizing his body, symbolizing how his body will be torn open, torn open by the lashes, torn open by nails, by a spear. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time we gather together and we eat the bread and we drink of the cup, we look back. We look back to Good Friday, somewhere around 30 A.D., when this was not symbolic but literal, when Jesus did this for us. We remember that He loves us. He cares about us, that His body and blood purchase for us our redemption, our forgiveness, our future hope, all of these things. It makes us stop in the middle of everything that's going on and focus on what Jesus did for us. This table is a table of remembering. You continue in the account. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, Luke mentions that he had given thanks before the bread as well, but here it is with the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When we gather around the Lord's table, it's a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of, of gratitude. Many times when we come around the Lord's table, it, it's a very solemn occurrence because we're thinking about His death, and that's true. But as you read the history of the early church, for them, it, all, it wasn't always a solemn occasion because they were, they, were, they were, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they weren't just looking back, they were looking ahead, and it was a time of celebration, it was a time of giving, of being thankful for what God has done for us. And in each of these, think about this, things that are representing the, the torture and the pain and the sacrifice that Jesus is about to go through, and he thanks the Father for them. Communion is a time where we give thanks. Now, this word thanksgiving in the Greek, it is, this is where we get the term Eucharist. So if, if you're kind of new to the church and you've heard this term Eucharist and you don't really know what it means, this is, this is the Greek word, Eucharisteo, that when Jesus says this in, both, in, in Matthew, give thanks, he's saying it's this word. So just as way of teaching here, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, all of these mean the same thing. 
And different traditions tend to use different ones. But this is all what's going on. The Lord's Supper. We are eating a meal with Jesus. Jesus gathered around a table and had a meal with his disciples. And he says, keep doing this in remembrance of me, the Lord's Supper. Holy communion. We'll come back to that. But it has to do with, with fellowship. And then the, when we call it the Eucharist, it's referring to this idea that it's a table of thanksgiving. It's a table of gratitude. That's literally what Eucharist means. It means give thanks. So when Jesus gets to this point in the meal, it's important. During the Passover Seder, there would have been four cups of wine that would have been, been drunk. Four cups that they go through. And when Jesus had gotten to this cup, this would have been the third cup. And they would, they would, every, all, all of the, uh, the participants would drink. A lot of times it was wine that was diluted two to three times with water. Um, it wasn't a real strong wine. But there, was, there were four cups. And this one that Jesus is drinking is the third cup, as we refer to as the cup of blessing. Now, the four cups come from an account in Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. The, the, the tradition that, that this is a part of the Passover Seder comes from when God spoke to Moses and commissions him. And God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, to Isaac and to Jacob as the Lord Almighty, but my name the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make known to them. So God is revealing something new here to Moses. And I also established my covenant. We see covenant here at the Lord's table. We'll come back to that later. I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant." So when they would drink the four cups, they would remember with each cup, each of these four, there's one more on the next screen, each of these four promises that God had promised to Moses. See, the whole thing with the Passover is reminding them about their deliverance out of Egypt. The death angel came through, and only those who got it, the, the, the Jewish people, uh, the Israelites who had spread the, the blood of the lamb over their door, the, the, the death angel passed over. Pharaoh was so distraught that he kicks them out of Egypt and they leave in the middle of the night. This is why there is where they eat unleavened bread because they left in haste. It reminds them with the unleavened bread that they had to leave. There wouldn't, wouldn't even have been time for the bread to rise. That's how quick they had to get out of town. And you think about that. I mean, this is they had been there for 400 years, and then they leave just like that. And this is what the unleavened bread reminds them of. So this is what the Passover is doing. It's taking them back to the Exodus, to the literal leaving of Egypt. And as they're celebrating this, they're remembering the four promises that God had made to Moses. So, the, so it goes like this, say, that, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So when they would drink the first cup, they would remember this promise, that I will bring you out. And I will deliver you, that was with the second cup, from slavery to them. And I will redeem you. This is the third cup. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
So when Jesus takes the third cup, he has with him in his hand the cup of redemption. He's about to give his body as a payment for ours, as a ransom for ours. Redemption always has the idea of a payment had to be made. A payment had to be paid. And Jesus is holding the third cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am about to pay for your redemption with my own blood. It's the redemption. Now, what about the fourth cup? Here's what's interesting about the story. Let's look at it first. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the Egyptians. So the fourth cup was this, I will take you into a land. I will bring you into the promised land. And when we look at the account of Jesus... He doesn't drink the fourth cup. This would have been stunning in their day. They, they, had, they, do this, they would do this every single year. They would have known the routine and the motions. And yet they drink, they drink of the third cup, and then he says this, I, will not, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus leaves the fourth cup out until the day of his kingdom. And we live in this period now, even today, between the third and the fourth cup, living in the light of his redemption, but waiting for the day that we are brought into the eternal promised land. And so every time we gather together around the Lord's table, we remember that it's not finished. It's not over. The table of the Lord is also a table of anticipation. It's a table where we look forward to the fourth cup, I will bring you in, where, where in the words of the Apostle Paul, he says, uh, whenever you eat, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, when we gather around the table of the Lord and we eat and we drink, it's not just a looking back and remembering, it's a looking forward. That one day we will drink with Him the fourth cup in the promised land. He will bring us in. That there is, we are doing this until He comes. We are anticipating His coming. We look for Him. We remember Him. In fact, if you study the Jewish Passover, even to this day, it is explicitly messianic. It is explicitly looking for the Messiah. And we have found the Messiah, and we are explicitly waiting, anticipating. Maybe today is the day, the last day of symbols. Maybe today is the day that we get to eat and drink with Him. It's a day, it's a table of anticipation. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is where the story stops abruptly. They would have had, had the, the third cup. They would have sung the great Hallel, which would have been somewhere between Psalm probably 113 and 118. They would have, have sung this. And then typically you have the fourth cup and it's over, but they had sung the hymn and then they left. And we'll pick up again with this account of Matthew in next week. 
But I said there were four things for us to keep in mind at the table of the Lord. It's a table of remembering. It's a table of anticipating. It's a table of thanksgiving. I want to bring in one more part of the table that really isn't explicit in Matthew's gospel, though it's implied. And it's implied in that this was a group that had come together of family to celebrate a Passover meal together. I want us to look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says this, and the part that we often quote in communion is the very next chapter, chapter 11, but this is in chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, it is, not a, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This, this participation, this is, might be one of the very few Greek words that you've actually heard before. Koinonia, fellowship, communion, togetherness, participation. And this is what, when we gather around the table of the Lord, it's a participation. I mean, think about this. How meaningful would it be Knowing if you had lived in Jesus' time and known who he was, how meaningful would it have been to have been invited to his Passover? I mean, you talk about a tough ticket to get. I mean, this would have been special. This would have been one of those things that you clear your schedule, that you never forget that you get home and you, and you write down, you, know, you get a, even if you're not a journaling person, you get it out and you write down your thoughts and you, and you record it. I mean, this is special. And when Paul brings us back to this bread and cup, he's saying it's a participation. It's a fellowship. God, through Jesus, has invited you to be his table guest. He's invited you to his table, to his feast, to eat from his abundance. And this is what we do. And in fact, it goes on. It's not just a participation with us, between us and God, though it is. Paul brings it out this way. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. In just a few moments, when we take the bread and we we break it and we pass it out. It reminds us of the fellowship and the unity that we have with one another. Because we all eat from the same loaf. In Christ, we are all one. In Christ, we are made one. We all, and it's symbolic that there's not 10 different loaves, there is one. There's not a loaf for the special people and a loaf for the normal. In fact, it's possible that Jesus might have been eating this at table with his disciples and that there might have been other, others watching or nearby or, or at other tables. But this is, we are eating, it, it is a symbol of our unity as a church where we all partake of one bread. Communion, the Lord's table, the Eucharist, is a time of participating, of fellowship, of, of togetherness. Us with God because we are invited to his table and us with one another because we all partake of the same loaf. So when we, when we partake in just a moment, 
It's a time of gratitude and thanksgiving. It's a time of participating, of looking back in remembrance, and looking forward in anticipation. How deeply God loves us that he has invited us to his table, that we eat and drink from him, from his loaf, from his cup. We were dead in our sins, rebellious. There is no one righteous, no, not one. And yet, the rebels have been invited to the table. The sinners have been invited to be partakers with Jesus. And this morning, we are invited to his table. Thanks again for checking out this week's message. If you are interested in finding out more about King's Chapel, please visit our website at kingschapel.church. There you can find service times and more ways to connect with us. You can also follow us on social media at King's Chapel SGF. We look forward to seeing you soon.